Good evening, everyone, and blessed Advent to you. My friends, our first reading, uh, the prophet is speaking to his people in a time when there was a lot of social unrest, there was war, and he's speaking words of encouragement, but more than that, he's speaking words of hope to them. And this helps us to understand the season of Advent also. A second reading, Detroit, I would tell you, you need to find yourself. Get you some Jesus. <laughs> hmm? That's basically St. Paul. He's telling you, get yourself ready. He said, never mind all this other nonsense. Now, they thought Jesus was coming back in a week. Uh, so there was this time, and they would eventually figure, not that quick. But the message would still be there. You need to get yourself ready and prepared. And um, this is what our gospel is speaking about also. And there's different images that are being used. And uh, in this gospel, there's two pieces that Jesus uh, talks about. And our scripture gives uh, many beautiful images about Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus the Christ. We, he's referred to as the light of the world and the bread of, the, the bread of life. And uh, Jesus refers to himself as the way and the truth and the life. And that's just to name a couple, a few of them. Today's gospel, Jesus tells... Um, speaks of himself um, as a thief who comes in the night. And um, uh, what does he mean uh, when he uses the image of this thief for himself? And I thought maybe this evening would be a good night to kind of look at that. The parable is asking us, uh, if you will, uh, based on uh, there are six other references to thief in the night that Jesus uses in the Gospels. This is one of them. The parable then asks us, really, how can, any, uh, how can anyone enter a strong man's house and make off with his property unless he first has overpowered that person and tied them up? When Jesus uses this image of the thief in the night, he is making a play on a thought of his time. The Pharisees had this uh, peculiar notion about many things, and one of them was uh, their conception of Satan and his control over sinners. And uh, uh, they, the meaning the Pharisees, uh, along with many of the pious Jews of the time, felt that humans had uh, given up its control over the world uh, through its collective sin and effectively handed it over to Satan. The only way that the world then could be saved from its evil ways and to break Satan's stronghold on it was for God to intervene directly and to send the long-awaited Messiah. In the words of the parable, unless someone overpower him and tie him up, um, Luke will tell us. Uh, in Matthew's gospel, our Lord Jesus, through his many cures and through the many miraculous events of, uh, of his ministry, showed himself to be more powerful than Satan capable of overpowering uh, his evil force, wrestling people from his grip, so to speak. And uh, Jesus uh, in, showed that he had uh, power over the elements also. So all of this, um, like a thief in this sense, then Jesus comes precisely to rob Satan of his treasure, to despoil him of his ill-gotten uh, gains, if you will. The unusual image of a thief, which illuminates Jesus' central role in the history of salvation, is used quite often 
in the end time readings. And as I said, uh, this, Jesus will use this term six times uh, for himself. And so Jesus came to set us free from sin, to rescue us from Satan's power. To enjoy that freedom, we must be ready by the lives we lead uh, to greet our Lord when he finally comes, whenever it is that he comes. And uh, unfortunately, many of us Christians uh, frequently get tied up in the things of this world, and, uh, uh, which was absolutely evident on Friday, <laughs> according to the news. People got tied up by many things. And so my friends, uh, and some of these things, important as they are, um, I'll give you a list because um, Jesus went on to give us a list about Noah. And he said, in the times of Noah, when they were so busy with everything, um, so in our world, um, people are very busy about earning a decent living and providing for their families' needs and for their education. And we have college students who are studying and studying and studying and studying and studying. They don't have any time for anything else. And uh, um, we have uh, people who are trying to balance the demands of their professional life along with their family obligations. And uh, they're working on their retirement. And uh, all of these things leave very little time for God and end up compromising uh, by taking over more and more of the world's ways and values. And so at the start of Advent and Mother Church uh, reminds us that uh, we know not the hour or the day when the Lord will come to call upon us, but that we should be ready. And not ready, and you've heard me talk about this, you're to be ready always for when he comes because uh, it is not just at, his, at the end of the world, but when he comes for you uh, at human death. You must be ready to greet him. And, but I've told you before, you don't do this with great anxiety. And you don't do this with a sense of dread. Or you don't do this with uh, the fear that God is coming and he's going to pounce on you when you least are prepared and when you least expect it. You are to do this with a sense of hope and with a sense of love. This is what the first reading was putting forth for us. Advent is a time of hope and, uh, and love. And he should find us always with hope and love in our hearts, um, doing his will and walking in, as Paul would say, in the light of holiness. And, uh, and doing that to the best of our ability. And to what you're doing really is returning love for love. God has love. God loves you. And what you're doing is returning his love to him. Not only how you treat him, but how you treat his children. Where are his children? They're sitting next to you. <laughs> that's God's child. That's God's child. That's God's child. That's God's child. There's God's child. There's, they're all over there. He wants you treating them with respect. What mother or father does not want you treating their child with respect? Right? God wants you treating his children with respect. That means you have to treat each other with respect. During the season of Advent, we should be doing other things, too. We should be adding things. Uh, and I'm not talking about the shopping. You'll do that, I know. Uh, but you, are, you should attend Mass more frequently. Hmm? And uh, you should be more charitable in your word and deed at home and at the office. You should visit people who are lonely. You should visit people who are ill. You should visit the elderly. You should be mindful of the poor and their suffering here and afar. And then doing this, deny yourself some legitimate pleasures uh, to make 
more of your resources available for others. I'm not talking about just your money, but I'm talking about your time. That's why I said go and visit someone who's ill. Go and visit someone you know is lonely. On this first Sunday of Advent, it is appropriate that Mother Church should fill the liturgy with sacred scriptures of the Lord's second coming, even as it calls us to remember his first one, the Incarnation, and the promise of our future glory with him. They remind us of our Christian priorities at the start of this new liturgical calendar for us. We are forewarned. This is New Year's Day in the church. <laughs> this, is the new, this is New Year's Day in the church. I know you'll celebrate New Year's Day January 1st, but this is the new year for the church starts Advent. And uh, we are forewarned of the suddenness of the second coming and the need to be prepared and to be ready. And we are reminded that in the second coming, everything that is not of Christ will fade away. But all that are in Christ, Jesus, will have a very glorious and unimaginable future with him. My friends, um, we start the year of Matthew. Uh, if you're unfamiliar with them, you certainly can pick up your Bible <laughs> and read about him, that evangelist. Uh, to help you out, there's a bio in the narthex. You'll see an image of Matthew and a bio, uh, a quick bio of him. Um, my friends, um, a professor of mine, when he was teaching us uh, about this reading, uh, he put forth this uh, test, this, and he said, it's just your imagination, but I want you to do this. And I remembered it, and I'm going to present it to you. And what he told us was that um, I want you to imagine that uh, you only have five years to live. And he said, and I want you to go, and I want you to make a list of what you will do with those five years of your life. And he said, now you can end there, and with the resolve to put into practice the things on your list. If they be truly what you want to do in your final years, you should be doing them now. And because uh, uh, none of us know how many days or weeks or years we have on this earth. He went on to say, but if you are truly courageous, he said, you will take this test and do it differently. He said, instead of five years, make it five months. Make it five weeks. Make it five days. See now what is on your list of priorities that you will do. It will be shorter for sure, likely revealing, he said, your true priorities in this world. He went on to say for Christians more and more, um, things on the original list that you made at five years will disappear. The shorter time, God will appear more, and your family will dominate the list. If this be true, they are the very ones you should be concentrating on right now.